Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Wednesday edition here on the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I am your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we have one of our usual guests joining us for this first half hour segment. Noah, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. Just chilling. Good. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. So it was an eventful week in the NFL this past weekend. The Arizona Cardinals have been on a tear winning their third straight game in a row over the undefeated Seattle Seahawks in a Sunday night thriller with the Cardinals coming out on top 37 to 34 in overtime but on a game-winning field goal from Zane Gonzalez as time almost expired. Um, no, I'm going to start with you on this one. What did you think of this Sunday night thriller? Uh, as, a, as an avid Cardinals supporter throughout my childhood, just because looking at Arizona, it was really, it's been really cool to watch the Cardinals kind of evolve into a team that I've wanted to see for quite some time now. <laughs> uh, sitting there at five and two, I feel like they're really showing their stuff. Kyle is really, really showing that he's, he's doing great for his sophomore year in the NFL. Uh, nearly match, pretty much matching Russell Westbrook, or not Russell Westbrook, sorry, Russell Wilson and all of his stats. Um, throughout that game. So, yeah, it was really interesting to watch and see Kyler especially kind of show up and help them win that game. Yeah, you can just see the additions of DeAndre Hopkins in that offense that just propelled Kyler Murray into that next level. And the Cardinals, they really are a team to – an exciting team to watch. It's probably the first good team they've had since Kurt Warner led them to the Super Bowl when they had Larry Fitzgerald before losing to the Steelers in that game. But switching over to you, Casey, what did you think of this Sunday night game? Oh, what a thrilling game. You know, coming into it, the Cardinals were not favored to win this game. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, saying that the Seahawks and the Cardinals was going to be a good game, but the Seahawks were going to end up winning it and probably be like they're a Super Bowl favorite. So the Cardinals coming out, young team, being able to prove that they can hang with this league, uh, like you said, DeAndre Hopkins had a phenomenal game. Kyler Murray is showing that he is a real quarterback in this league and he can make a huge impact. And, I mean, overall, just an incredible game for – I mean, it's not it's a bad loss for the Seahawks, but, like, it was just an incredible game just to watch in general. So you got to give it up to the Cardinals at the end of the day. But the Seahawks did play well. as Like, they didn't play terribly. But, uh, yeah, it was just a good game to watch. Yeah, like you said, it was a bad loss for the Seahawks. They were up by 10 points with a little under three minutes to go. The Cardinals scored, and then the Cardinals got the ball back, tied it up at the end of regulation to force overtime. But Russell Wilson, for me, I mean, his numbers were ridiculous, but it was one of the first games where he was throwing interceptions, and he had three of them in that game, one of them being in the red zone. Luckily, looked like a walk-in pick six, 100 yards, but DK Metcalf that human specimen of a guy he is chased him down absolutely remarkable heart and determination from him on that play and for him to throw another pick to set up the Cardinals game winning field goal in overtime just was very unlike him from what we've seen the first five games of the season but it is just one game very exciting for the Cardinals they are on a a, a roll for sure but no switching over to you do you think if Kyler Murray kind of keeps this play up he could be a dark horse MVP candidate I mean, yeah, I was going to mention that earlier as well. I really think seeing, seeing Kyler come up, uh, I guess everyone, he's used to it now, but everyone's been obviously comparing him to Russell Wilson. So seeing him have pretty much an equal game, getting 20 less yards at 360 passing yards, 
with three passing TDs and, and only one interception to Russell Wilson's three. He kind of almost showed up and kind of outshowed Russell Wilson in that game. So everyone's saying Russell Wilson's looking really good this season for the MVP of the league, obviously. So after seeing Kyler come out with such a strong game against that guy, really gives him a, a kind of a dark horse thing and him really has got a chance to maybe even make it as the, as the MVP of the league this year. So we'll see. Yeah, after the first five or six weeks, especially coming into this game, it did seem that Russell Wilson was the clear favorite from what we've seen so far. And Kyler Murray, he could just keep that trend of sophomore quarterbacks winning the MVP. We saw Patrick Mahomes throw 50 touchdown passes two seasons ago in his sophomore campaign to win the MVP, just completely bursted on the scene. Then we saw Lamar Jackson last year as a sophomore win the MVP just dominate the AFC and unfortunately lose in the playoffs. And Kyler looks like he could be that next guy. If he if he doesn't win it, he could definitely be in the top three to five in voting. I would I would I strongly believe. But Casey, switching over to you, do you think Kyler has a shot at potentially winning this award? It all depends on like how the season ends up. You know, it's kind of early to tell right now. We have obviously have like favorites winning the MVP, but I think it's kind of too early to see who the true MVP of the league is. But I think he does have a chance if he keeps up this kind of play. Um, like you guys said, he's having a really good sophomore year. Um, sophomore quarterback years are usually really good in the NFL. So I think if he keeps up this kind of play, he will get votes, definitely. But winning it is kind of like if he like if he goes undefeated for the rest of the season, maybe he probably has a chance of winning the MVP. But there's just so many players that – are doing the same thing or if not better than him right now. So um, I think he does have a chance. We'll see how, we'll see how the uh, season ends up. But yeah, I mean, for a sophomore quarterback, he's doing really well. Yeah, sophomore quarterbacks is like very the year when you look for him to take that next step. You've been with your uh, offensive system for a full year now, been with those coaches. You're out of college football where college football is just run and gun. You're just passing all the way down the field. And in the NFL, you really have to capitalize on defensive mistakes, be able to read zone coverages, all of the stuff a good quarterback should do. And these guys are going to get to play against each other one more time. So being in the same division, playing each other twice, if it comes down to the Cardinals and the Seahawks having a close record and Kyler Murray beats them both times and Kyler Murray outduels them again, that might just propel them over Russell Wilson. But it would be, it's definitely going to be an interesting race to watch for sure. Um, but no, switching over to you, how far of a playoff run do you think this Arizona Cardinals team could potentially make? I, just just off of last game, what I was seeing, what they were able to do against the Seahawks team, that five and zero team that really showed they're one of the one of the leading, uh, possibly Super Bowl teams in in the league. I feel like the Cardinals really showed up and made sure that people still knew who they were and made sure to capitalize on, uh, on a bigger team like that and showing that they really do have what it takes to, to win maybe the divisional game, uh, the divisional championship. Uh, but I, if, they, if they keep up this and they only lose maybe one or two games here for the rest of the season and Kylie keeps his form, DeAndre Hopkins keeps doing what he's doing, Buda Baker on the defensive end keeps doing what he does, uh, I can really see them going even to the Super Bowl, at least. Yeah, Buda Baker, you mentioned that he has been a difference maker for this team ever since he came back three weeks ago. He's looking like a potential dark horse for the defensive player of the year if he keeps making plays like he is. 
like he has the past couple of weeks. And one key thing for the Cardinals is just their health on offense. All their skill players have been healthy. They're finally starting to find that rhythm. The defense is getting that chemistry back with no preseason games. We've seen the scores through the first six weeks of the NFL. They were all high scoring games. And now that the teams are starting to get more chemistry with each other, you can see the scores kind of creeping back down. And the Cardinals definitely do look like a team that could potentially make a deep run in the playoffs. But Casey, what about you? What do you, how deep do you think they could go? I think they do have a chance of like making it to the Super Bowl. But like you said earlier, it depends on their health because if they lose key guys, I mean, that's with any team in any sport. If you lose a key guy like Buda Baker, or if you lose some, like we don't know if Kyler gets hurt or something like that, it could change the whole direction of a team. So if they stay healthy, they do have a, a chance to make a good run at the, in the playoffs. It just depends on their health for me. And they're going to be exciting to watch in the playoffs. I was watching an uh, uh, interview, and I think it was Stephen A. said that nobody really wants to play them. Like, if they were to get to that wild card spot, and they don't – like, nobody wants to play the Cardinals right now, especially if they can keep this form. So it should be interesting to see what they do. But, yeah, if they make – if they even if they are just a wild card team, like, nobody wants to play them. So I think they could make a good good run here in the playoffs. Yeah, and being in the best division of football, thankful to the new playoff format stretching out to seven teams in each conference, potentially the whole NFC West could make it. We have – they have three teams with five wins – the Seahawks at five and one, the Rams and the Cardinals both at five and two, and the 49ers at four and three, which is just a premier division in the NFL Football League right now. But for me, I'm going to put my ceiling for the Cardinals playoff run probably at the NFC Championship. I just think they might be too young with Kyler. Their coach is only in the second year as well. But they're, as you said, they're definitely a team you don't really want to play right now, especially when they're rolling. But no, switching over to you. Who do you think is the top Super Bowl contender from this NFC West division? You know, it's obviously a good case builder for the Cardinals, seeing that they beat their their better uh, their better person in the league, uh, the Seahawks. That's uh, obviously good for them. But yeah, I still I'd say probably the Seahawks have the best chance, best opportunity. They've shown that that resilience throughout most of the season. Uh, a rather a particularly slow night for DK as well, I think, is something that might have kept them below winning against the Cardinals. Uh, I think he only got two catches for around 23 yards or something like that. So seeing him really go kind of slight kind of slow down on production was was interesting. Uh, but I feel once they get him and Lockett going again with Russell Wilson's arm, uh, they're just going to keep plowing through the rest of the teams they face. And I, they probably are the best contender in this league for a Super Bowl win. Yeah, Tyler Lockett, you mentioned it. He just went absolutely bonkers in this game, catching 15 passes, having 200 receiving yards and three t three touchdowns, just absolutely ridiculous numbers. And it kind of seemed like the Cardinals put a lot of defensive emphasis on DK Metcalf, only limited to two catches and ultimately got the win. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward if other teams start to do that as well. But Casey, switching over to you, who do you think is the best team in this division? I think the best team right now is still the Seahawks. I mean, we, Noah kind of said it all, but it was just kind of like an off game for the Seahawks. Uh, three picks by Russell Wilson. I mean, Kyler Murray played his head off, and he they ended up with the win. But, yeah, it was just kind of an off game for the offense of the Seahawks. So I think moving forward, they'll kind of look at the tape and see 
what went wrong and what they can do to improve. Um, I mean, it's a learning game. Everybody learns every different, like every week something new comes up. So I think it's still the Seahawks uh, like division to win and Super Bowl favorites of this league, but you got to be careful of the Arizona Cardinals moving forward. Yeah, like you said it, I think the Seahawks did everything wrong in this game. At least Russell Wilson having three turnovers and they still were up 10 with three minutes left. They still had a chance in overtime to win and they just couldn't get it done. It just was a fluke game for them. If they can figure out some of their issues on their defensive end, I think they're going to be the premier contender in the NFC and probably run away with this division for sure. But we are going to move into a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. And thank you for tuning into the Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we're going to be jumping in to the Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington football team that took place this past weekend. And what a boring game this was, man. It was rainy. It was sloppy. Two of the worst teams in the NFL. I'm sorry, but we have to report on this game. The Cowboys are just so relevant in the media. And the Washington football team just absolutely dominated the whole game. They won 25 to three. They outgained the Dallas Cowboys 397 to 142 in total yards. And it just was another abysmal effort from America's team, as you would call it. But Noah, starting with you, what do you, what did you make of this game, man? It's just a tough watch. Uh, really has been, especially for the Cowboys. They definitely were still showing some struggles when they had Dak Prescott. And of course, even more when they had to transition to using only Andy Dalton. And now uh, third string guy they've got coming in here, Ben DiNucci. Uh, yeah, tell me if you heard that name before. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what they can try to muster together with this quarterback and the rest of the offense. But yeah, truly just abysmal. It's just a tough watch, really. Yeah, this team is just should be scratched from all primetime television games moving forward. I think they actually play the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night football coming up this weekend, which is actually a battle for first place, a two and five team and a two, four and one team. It's just absolutely <laughs> atrocious, man. I just don't know what to tell you. But Casey, moving over to you, what did you think of this game, man? Yeah, this game sucked. To, to just to say it, um, it, it was really bad. You know it's bad when the first point of the game is a safety. And you're just like, okay, it's going to be a safety. And then after that, the Cowboys, just, their defense was so terrible. I, I was watching the first touchdown that the uh, Washington football team scored. And it just looked like he ran straight through the defense. It didn't – like, it was easy for him. Like, he didn't even have to break any tackles or anything for, like, a 12-yard a running a run. So, I mean, it's just abysmal at this point. I feel bad for I, – I mean, I don't feel bad for the Cowboys in any stretch of the imagination, but, like, seeing their first string go out like that and then another blast to their offense with Andy Dolan going out, I mean, dude, this – just tragic, tragic. Yeah, they're, they're just bad, man. I mean, Antonio Gibson, shout-out to him on the Washington football team, had a career day rushing the football, 20 carries for 128 yards and a touchdown. And it just looks like this Cowboy team has no heart. They have no will. They have no togetherness. They don't care about playing for each other, which is actually going to jump me right into our next topic. Andy Dolan, late in the third quarter, the Cowboys getting absolutely 
trounced, pounced in this game. They're just getting killed. Embarrassment. They didn't even have 100 total yards of offense at this point in the game. And Dolan goes to slide on about an eight-yard quarterback scamper. And he just gets absolutely killed by linebacker John Bostic on the Washington football team. One of the dirtiest hits I've seen. Dolan, unfortunately, had to leave the game via concussion protocol and was out for the rest of the game. But, Noah, what did you, what did you think of this ugly, ugly hit? Yeah, I know it, it was a tough one, especially watching as a Cowboys fan, you know. Uh, you saw a lot of your hope for the season go out when Dak took a kind of hit that, that unfortunately did that to his leg. But, um, yeah, when you see Andy Dalton come out and take a, a, a stupendous hit to the head, it's just – it's tough. Uh, you, you just don't know who's coming in next, to be honest. You have no idea who the next guy is on the bench. So it's, it's, you really need guys like your running backs, especially when you have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott to really be stepping up and filling in that, that role of get, getting some offense generated and get that going. But again, just ending up with 12 carries on 45 yards for the game. He just, especially over these past two games, really hasn't been showing that he can step up into that role. So yeah, it's just, it's tough to see uh, your second string quarterback go down like that and then have nobody really to back up the rest of the offense. So yeah, it was, it was just tough, tough watch. Yeah, when Dak went down, you almost thought the Cowboys were smart in the offseason when they signed Andy Dolan. Everyone was like, why, why do you need to sign Andy Dolan? You have Dak Prescott, blah, blah, blah. And then Dak goes out, done for the year. Here comes Andy Dolan, the red rifle, here to save him. But no, Andy Dolan takes an unfortunate hit and is most likely out for a couple of weeks. Hopefully it's not too serious and he can get back on the field here soon. But Casey, what did, what did you think of this hit? I just want to know what's going on through John Bostick's mind. Like when a quarterback goes to slide and your first instinct is to just go straight helmet to helmet, through, like right to the head. I want to know what's going through his mind. But the worst thing about this whole thing is when Andy Dalton was on the ground, none of the Cowboys guys went to like try and confront John Bostick. It was just like, oh, our quarterback got hit. He looks like he's unconscious on the ground. They didn't even care. It didn't seem like they cared. They went to see how he was doing for like a couple seconds, but they didn't like none of the offensive line went and got in John Bostick's face and was like, what the hell are you doing? Like stuff like that, like a normal team would do. I would, if you ask not, like 10 different offensive linemen what they would do in that situation, nine out of 10 would back up their quarterback. So, and you learn that from a young age, like you, you always want to protect your quarterback no matter the cost. So, it's just tragic. The chemistry from the Cowboys is just obviously not there. Nothing's going right for them. Everybody's getting hurt. Well, their quarterbacks especially. But yeah, it's just tragic to see on all spectrums, like from chemistry to injuries. Yeah, they just don't care anymore. You're absolutely right. Like a quarterback, like even Aaron Rodgers or one of these top tier quarterbacks, even if they get sacked and the guy that sacks them stands over their quarterback for even a little bit over a second, there's an offensive lineman or a running back coming to push that guy off of him, back up their quarterback, especially. And just to see the Cowboys not even do anything. I'm not saying you have to retaliate with a dirty hit or something, but maybe if you're an offensive lineman, next time you see John Bostic come in the hole, light him up. If it's within the field of play, there's nothing wrong with that. But just to not back up your quarterback, as you said, no togetherness. They are not unified as a team they just don't care 
And back to what Noah was saying, you have a top five running back in the NFL who just got a fat payday in the offseason, Ezekiel Elliott. He hasn't done anything these past couple weeks. Dak goes out. You think they're going to rely on him, hand him the ball, 20, 25 carries. The first game with Dak out, he fumbles the ball twice in the first half. You can't give him the ball the rest of the game. They lose that game. They get absolutely slaughtered by the Cardinals. This past game, Noah touched on it. 12 carries, 45 yards. Just no heart, no grit, no grind. They they just don't want to play football, and it's just embarrassing to watch. Um, but real quick, Casey, do you think John Bostic should get suspended for this hit, or do you think he'll just get a fine? Uh, I think – he did get ejected from the game, and I think he will get a – I think he already got a fine, right? He got fined. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say whether he should get suspended. In my eyes, I feel like he should get suspended just basically because there is nowhere that Andy Dalton could go other than slide, and he went straight for the head. Like, that's just uncalled for, unsportsmanlike. So, yeah, a suspension could be in the in the works. I don't know. But, yeah, I, in my eyes, I think he should get a suspension. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he should get one game at least, maybe two games, but it's not looking likely for a suspension on that part. But, no, what about you? Do you think he should get a suspension? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was just – it's it was too violent, I guess. It really – it was just not something you should be doing to a quarterback. Um, it's something that we phased out of the league for a reason, like being able to do those kind of hits and – in the past and all that. So I think, yeah, it definitely should be at least a game suspension. Like you said, Chad, uh, I can't see him just getting away with this and coming back into the next game and just being off of a fine. Yeah. It's definitely got to be a suspension, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the Redskins will still play the Cowboys one more time this season later on. So it'll be interesting to see if the Cowboys do end up retaliating or finding him in the hole and just lighting him up one time. But the Cowboys still being in the hunt for the division. It's early. They've gone through a lot of trouble with their quarterbacks. They're only a half a game back in first back of first place behind the Eagles, who are two, four, and one, where they actually play this coming Sunday with their third string quarterback no one's ever heard of. Scheduled to start. Andy Dolan's timetable for return is to be determined. If you guys were Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, and you had just seen what happened to Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami or you see a guy out there like Jameis Winston, the backup quarterback for the Saints, would you try to push some pieces in to try to make a trade for a quarterback before the trade deadline? What do you think, Noah? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I really – Jameis Winston's an interesting one to think about, but um, he really was he, – he did have a cannon. When he did get to play for the Buccaneers, he really did show he could toss the ball. And uh, so I just think – slotting him in somehow into the Dallas Cowboys offense really wouldn't be too hard. I mean, I feel like they've shown us that they have a lot of explosive talent out on the ends at wide receiver there with Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb really stepping up into it, and Michael Gallup. Uh, I mean, I really can't see what could go wrong with getting a guy like Winston in there, just chucking bombs out to them. That might actually work out for them in the end. So it'd be interesting to see a guy like that. And again, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like you said, seeing they're trying to phase him out in favor of Tua. Uh, see if Tua can make his way into the league. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So I think bringing any of those guys in there just to give them a better chance over this Danucci guy, really, uh, I think really couldn't affect them negatively in any way. So, Yeah, what do you think, Casey? 
I think we see how this weekend goes. Um, if they get blown out by the Eagles, I think it's just time to call it at that point. I mean, there's no point in trying. I mean, it's it's a terrible division. I understand, but yeah, I think it's time that they just don't show any will to try and make it like defensively. So. Yeah, we'll see how this game against the Eagles goes. But if it goes terribly, I just say you call it from there. Just run with the rookie and see how he does. Uh huh. Um, me personally, I would probably push to make a trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I just have a couple reasons why. It seems he's been around the league, played for many different franchises, played on many different bad teams, was never in the playoffs, was never really a winner. But something about this guy, he just he can rally a locker room. He is a great leader. He is all heart. He is all about winning. He hasn't done much winning in his career, but he doesn't mind to dive and take a hit if it means he gets an extra two yards. He doesn't mind blocking for a running back, a wide receiver coming around. And I personally think he would be a really good fit for the Cowboys, someone who can lead this team, because it does seem like they're missing that leader. The coaching staff and the players are at odds. Doesn't seem like they have any connection going on between them. And bringing a guy like Fitzpatrick in might be able to light a spark under this team. Noah mentioned it. They have great offensive weapons, guys on the outside. They have a great running back in Zeke. I mean, their defense is atrocious, but in this division, anything's possible. And I could see them pushing the trade for Fitzpatrick, but Jameis Winston kind of seems like this might be Drew Brees' last year and Jameis is kind of getting groomed to take over for Breeze moving forward, which will be interesting to see how that works out. But this is going to wrap up the first half-hour segment here on the Double Double. We would like to thank Noah for joining us. As always, we love having him. We'll be right back with some new guests. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett, we have one of our usual guests with us, Cooper, and we have a new guest with us as well, Wes. How's everyone doing today, fellas? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing pretty fine. Doing pretty fine. Doing well, doing well. So it was an eventful week in the National Football Week, National Football League this past week. The New England Patriots got absolutely slaughtered 33-6 to on their home field, which is probably Bill Belichick's worst loss as a Patriots coach. Cooper, this is your team. I'm going to start with you. What did you make of this game? It was a hard one to watch. I'm not going to lie. It was it was pretty hard to watch. Uh, I kind of had them going into it. I mean, I always have. I'm always hoping the uh, Patriots win every single time. Um, but I really didn't think it was going to, like, we were going to lose, let alone lose this bad. And, yeah, we are definitely not the team that, that played – the Seahawks and almost won that game. Like that game, like you could argue that was still a win for the Pats, but I feel like ever since uh, Cam got COVID and like the whole, like the whole team kind of had to like sit out of the uh, training facilities for a little bit. And then that just, that kind of loss against the chiefs. It's just, it's not looking great for them. And I don't know. I hopefully they maybe they're just been out of sync these past two games, but I really really hope they get back into sync. Yeah, two and four these past couple of weeks, it just seems like the Pats have spiraled and done a complete one eighty. 
everyone was impressed with Cam after the first couple of weeks. Everyone was wondering why every other team that needed a quarterback didn't sign him. And maybe this is why Cam showed us he his inconsistencies sometimes come through. I mean, he only passed for 98 passing yards, had three picks, and got benched at the end of the third quarter. Just an atrocious performance and just something the Patriots need to get back on schedule, man. They just – they got to do something to figure out what's going on. But, Wes, I'm going to throw it over to you. What do you think is going on with this Patriots team? I was just going to say what Cooper said, man. What, to me, I feel like they're, they're, they're not the team they used to be, not just losing Tom Brady – but they lost a lot on that defense. Calvin, you going to the Dolphins injuries and people just opting out. Um, to me, I just, the McCourney twins are getting old. So they're just about wrapping up their career. Stefan Gilmore is about the only solid spot or solid player they have, in my opinion, on that side of the ball. But to me, uh, once the little COVID outbreak for them went down and spiked up, it just went downhill from there. And, um, Cam hasn't been the same since that Seahawks game, in my opinion. And um, if I was Belichick, either I'll just either hang it up or I would most likely – they're not in that tough a division, just them and the Bills. I don't know about tanking the season, but I'll be looking to draft a quarterback for this upcoming draft. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, coming in, everyone was kind of skeptical signing Cam. Why don't you just kind of eat the bullet, have one bad year? draft a quarterback, rebuild, get the Patriots back to where we've seen them the past 20 years. And spending that money on Cam and being at a two and four record probably is something they did not predict coming into the season at all. But you mentioned it, they've lost a lot of people on the defense. They haven't, they've lost guys to bigger contracts on different teams and just stuff of that source that they just couldn't control. But Casey, throwing it over to you, what do you think is going on with this Patriots team? They're just not the same team anymore that we're used to watching. And that's just the end of that conversation. Like we've all said, people opted out, losing people to free agency and bringing in a, gam a, like a gamble in Cam Newton. You'd never know what you're going to get with him. This game was terrible for him. He threw three picks, had got benched after the third quarter. It's just one of those things where you start looking to your future and making sure that the future is bright rather than worrying about now where it looks like they don't really have a chance. So it might be a time to rebuild, like Wes said. Yeah, I feel you on that. But I'm going to switch us over into a quick little debate, and I'm going to start with you, Cooper, being the Patriots fan. After all these years of kind of – and getting rid of Tom Brady, everyone was kind of saying how Belichick was the reason for those six rings. Do you think maybe the Patriots were wrong in getting rid of Tom Brady, or do you think it was the right move? Honestly, here's my thing is I feel like Tom Brady, he'd be a lot more consistent than Cam right now, but he would still struggle in our offense. Tom Brady was like, he was never like this. Like the problem is he's got no one to throw to. Like they're not throwing, they're throwing like jewels. His knees are shot. He's on like kind of the last couple seasons or season of his career. And he, they're just – they have no one to throw to. And I thought they were just going to convert more of to a rushing-style team. But even that, like, they don't even have the greatest running backs. But definitely, like, Tom Brady, like, he – I feel like he should have gotten a little more recognition from, like, Belichick. Just like, yeah, he's obviously not a system quarterback. But I would – I don't think he's a problem. I think 
all the defense opting out was a big problem. Like we lost a lot and our defense was really good last year and it's just kind of a shell of its old self this year. But I think the biggest problem and it's been the problem for years now is quarterback has no one to throw to on that team. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it was right for them to move on from Brady. It's just unfortunate that Brady has almost a super team formed with that offense and the Buccaneers. I mean, he has two running backs, Lennon Fournette, who's pretty established, not the best, but he's a solid back. Ronald Jones is working his way up in the league. They just signed Antonio Brown. Gronkowski has that chemistry. And then guys on the outside like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, just plenty of weapons to throw to. I, I don't blame the Patriots for making the move. It, it worked out for the Buccaneers. Who knows? Maybe the Patriots in a couple of years will be back to their dominance that we've seen over the past 20 years. But Wes, throwing it over to you, what do you make of this whole Brady leaving situation? Um, I can't really say like what's better on both sides. I feel like Belichick is a great coach and Tom Brady is a wonderful quarterback. I mean, you just switch the roles. You give Cam Newton the weapons Tom Brady have. I'm pretty sure he'll thrive just like Tom is. And you go take Tom back to New England. He would also, he would, he would make the best of it better than what Cam is doing, but he would also struggle. Um, for Brady, I feel like it was the better move, obviously. People thought him going to the Bucks and being in the Saints division wasn't going to work out. But with adding with even without adding A B, I feel like they was going to they were going to win that division. And um it was going to, in my opinion, it's gonna be them and the Packers and the Seahawks in that um NFC division to uh, NFC conference to win it out. But if I had to choose, I would go I'd have to go Brady who right now that made the better decision. And um, I think Belichick should just, just rebuild off this season and get ready for the next couple of years. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it just seems like after the first couple games, that whole Cam Newton running, rushing offense, that rushing attack was, was firing on all cylinders. They almost beat the Seahawks. And the run game was really setting up the pass, which was helping Cam Newton a ton. And then as we saw this last game versus the 49ers, they weren't able to run Cam as well. He struggled just having to drop back and throw the ball almost every down. Just seems like they're too much one-dimensional rushing attack with Cam. It was easy for defensive teams to scout for after the first couple of weeks and find a way to shut it down. But Casey, throwing over to you, what do you make of this whole Brady situation? I think it was the best move for him. I'm so like he secured the bag at the end of the day. I mean, he's proven everybody that he is probably going to go down as the best quarterback to ever play. So I think he had nothing left to prove. He probably knew that the team was going to go downhill this season and he wanted to get out there. And he now he's on a team that has a, a lot of weapons that he can utilize. And Belichick is still a great coach. He has those six rings for a reason. So you can't really say that either or is the better situation I mean they just thought they're going to probably get more out of Cam Newton than they've gotten uh you kind of kind of wish he would go back to that MVP kind of form but he's just too inconsistent at this point to really make a difference for this Patriots team yeah it would be a heck of a statement if Tom Brady were to somehow find a way to win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers whether it is this year or next year I'm sure it'd be a real kick in the face to a whole bunch of Patriots fans and the whole state of New England 
and that whole city of Boston and kind of a F you to Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and that whole organization. I mean, like you said, he's going to go down as the winningest quarterback of all time, probably the GOAT. I mean, a six-round draft pick is just absolutely remarkable. But that is going to wrap up this conversation. We're going to move into a quick commercial break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Khabib retiring. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Double Double here on the Wednesday edition. We just got done talking about the Patriots and how their team is going downhill and whether they should start to rebuild. But we're going to go into a guy, uh, into UFC, to a guy named Khabib. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have all heard of him, but he just announced that he is going to retire. Uh, this guy is 29-0. and 0. He has a bright future ahead of him. He's done everything you can possibly do in UFC, but he called it quits after his dad died in July and said he could not walk in the ring anymore without his dad. So he did. He retired after this last fight that he did, and he's, yeah, gone 29-0. and 0. I'm going to go over to you, Chad, first. Do you think this was the right decision with the circumstances of his dad passing away and saying he can't do it anymore? Is the right decision for him, or do you think he should keep going? Um, I think it was the right decision. I think it was just causing him too much pain to fight, knowing his dad wasn't there by his side anymore. Uh, we kind of saw this um, with Michael Jordan. Him and his dad were super close. His whole career, he was always in the locker room talking to Jordan before games, after games. And you know that iconic photo of after Jordan won that third straight title, him in the locker room just bawling his eyes out because his dad had passed away that season. He had to take some time off, went and played baseball, and eventually came back. I don't. I think Khabib might eventually come back. I think the money is just too big in sports right now to turn it down. Even guys like McGregor and Mayweather are still will probably eventually fight again. Just I mean the checks that they can make. And one night is just absolutely ridiculous with these pay-per-view fights. Khabib probably just needs some time with his family, needs some time away from the sport. But I definitely would see him back fighting probably in a year or two. All right. Yeah, I mean, he has he's done everything to this point. I mean, when something like that happens, like you said with Jordan, you just need time to clear your head and get back into it. Um, it's a tragic thing when somebody you love, especially passes away. So I think he needs time to recover from that. But going on to you, Coop, do you think it was the good decision for him to retire? Or do you think he'll come back after this? Um, I got to agree with Chad. Like, it just – you can't, like, not compare it to Michael Jordan with his – like, the passing of his dad. Um, I definitely think – yeah, he's going to take a – he's going to take a hot minute break from, like, UFC for a little bit. Like you said, spend some time with his family. Maybe just, just get even closer with him if he are – if he isn't already um but i think i think it'll be probably like maybe two to three years before he comes back and fight and he'll just like kind of show everyone who's like is talking smack then like oh hey like i decided to go out on my own terms like i'm gonna come back and do it and i think he will go on like a little bit of like a revenge tour a little bit and just kind of showing like hey i didn't leave because i was bad like i left because i wanted to um, but I think he's done consistently fighting because if he comes back, he'll only fight for a little bit more. Just like the toll on your body from like putting your body through all that like performance and everything and then taking a break, and then going back. It's really hard, but I honestly think he'll come back and he'll show why he is like one of the greats. But he, I think he's done consistently. 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Mayweather did the same thing after he announced his retirement that he would come out every once in a while and do some fights and then make more money, win, and then go back into retire until somebody talks the talk and walks the walk. So, but going on to US, what do you make of this whole Khabib retiring? I have to agree with y'all, man. Just the love of the sport or whatever you do, it just, it never leaves the, it just never leaves you at all. Just like with Michael Jordan, he tried to go play baseball. That's what his dad wanted him to play. But he knew the love of basketball he had. Just that's what that's what makes you want to just thrive and get better and go back and do it. For Khabib, I know he's going to take his time off. It's just a lot of emotions right now. But I do feel like he's going to come back. I just feel like he's going to, when he does come back, I feel like he's going to be 10 times better. At that point, I feel like he's just one. He just wants to do it for his dad. He wants to win for his dad. And he's going to just going to become he's going to come back even better than what he is now. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, sometimes like losing somebody might propel you to do something great. So Michael Jordan came back, won three more championships to prove that he could still has it. So I think getting this time off for him will really bring out the inner love for the sport. Uh I know when I take time off of a sport, I always want to go back to it as much as I like need a break or whatever. But going on to you, Chris, welcome back, by the way. Um, what do you think of Khabib retiring? Um, Khabib, honestly, you know, he's the best in the world. I mean, he's 29 and 0. He already showed his skill, what he has in his skill set. Um, I just think, you know, anyone would do the same thing if they loved their mom or dad, you know. It's just, you know, his dad passed and he has to go, you know, retire. I, I'll give him about like two or three years, you know, before he comes back. But I mean, he's already done everything in the game. What else does he have to prove? He beat, he beat the best fighters, you know. I mean, he could always come back to make more money, but he's solidified and he's the UFC champion. And I think his decision was all right because if I was in that position, I would do the same thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, when you do everything, what more do you have to prove? Um, but moving on with that statement, going over to you, Chad, some consider Khabib to be the GOAT of all UFC of fighting. And I think he just got announced that he was the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter. Um, do you think he has enough? Has he proven himself enough to be considered the GOAT? Or does he not have enough title defenses to secure that status? I think he does for right now. I don't know about moving forward. I think someone could eventually pass him up. He doesn't have the argument like an MJ or a LeBron or a Tom Brady. He doesn't have all of those accolades in their respective sports. But, I mean, the man was unbelievable. Chris said it, 29-0. He dominated McGregor, who was the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter during his time, beat McGregor, and then he went and fought about 15 of McGregor's friends in the stands and, like, walked away from it like nothing happened i mean to be able to do that takes takes a lot of guts to be able to fight anyone you want just knowing how good you are so i definitely say he is the goat at the time he retired for sure yeah i i think i'll have to agree with you on that i mean even without the like title defenses and all that he's gone through everybody that asked him to fight him like he's proven everything to the sport he's done everything for the sport and he also did the did it for his dad. So, I mean, coming after his dad died and still being able to show how much heart he has and love for the sport to win, it's just incredible. But going on to you, Coop, what do you think? Uh, do you think he should be considered the GOAT? Fighting. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I guess he's in that con- like conversation with it, uh, of being the goat. Like, like you said, there's no one else like he can be. Like, like, yeah, he could have maybe like had a couple title defenses here and there, but like, there's no one else he could beat. I personally think he's still like really like just he's really really good. But if he wants to solidify himself as like the ultimate just greatest like fighter to ever live he is going to come back after like a couple years and just fight a new cycle of uh, fighters and everything and show like, Hey, I beat everyone in my day. And even years later, I can still beat everyone in the future and stuff like that. And that I feel like will solidify himself. And that's why I feel like solidifies MJ is just like, he did a three P took a couple years, like a couple years off and then just won another three P just to show they can still do it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see like the new brand, like style of fighting that comes in the next couple of years. You never know how it's going to transition. But if he does come back and be able to beat the crap out of whoever he sees, it might be interesting to watch and also uh, solidify himself as a GOAT. But going on to U.S., uh, do you think he is the GOAT or do you think of somebody else that comes to mind? I'm about half and half right now. I think best pound for pound, yes, you just got to say it's automatically yes, but at the same time, I think with only three title defenses, just not enough. You don't have the same pedestal. You're not on the same pedestal as other greats that has you know won more than won a lot of championships. But also going on that, it's not too many people that just want to fight him and take that chance to go against him. So uh, that's that's a tough one. But um, he's definitely in the conversation, let's say that. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying that him and John Jones are probably up there for the two uh, goats of the sport. And people are leaning each way. And they're kind of having a debate now about it because Khabib is retired. Um, but going on to you, Chris, real quick, do you think um, uh, that Khabib should be considered the goat? He is the goat. He is the goat. I mean. Come on, Conor McGregor was talking all that smack. You know, he's talking all that. I'm going to get you in the first round. You know what Kid Bean said? You know what he said? He said, no, that's not true. I'm going to let you talk. But the day of the fight, I'm going to get you in the first round. You know, and I don't think anyone can stop him. There's no one. We there's Who's who's the best fighter in the world? I mean, it's Khabib right now. No one can stop him. He's the GOAT. There's nothing else to say about this man. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he pretty pretty well. That. I mean, he doesn't need to talk the talk. He just walks the walk. He beats whoever's in his face, and he's proven that he doesn't need to do like all this stupid talking. He's gonna use his fists. He's gonna beat the crap out of whoever. But yeah, I think that he definitely should be considered or in the conversation at least to be the GOAT. But that's going to wrap up this segment here on the Double Double. I'd like to thank Chris, Wes, and Cooper for coming on. And when we get back, me and Chad, it's just going to be us, and we're going to talk about this World Series and how it wrapped up. So we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Um, We just got done talking about Khabib and whether it was the right decision for him to retire. But we're going to move straight on with it. It's just me and Chad for this last segment. So we're going to talk about baseball. The World Series just ended yesterday. 
as of recording, and the Dodgers pull it out to win the series 4-2, to breaking a 32-year drought. Um, amazing series by both the Rays and the Dodgers. Um, but, Chad, the World Series MVP went to Corey Seager. Do you think that was deserved, or were you looking at another guy? Um, I definitely think it was well-deserved. Corey Seager, he was the NLCS MVP as well. This dude was on a tear. I'm pretty sure he hit about he coming into game six, he was hitting 471 in the series. He went 0 for 3 or 0 for 4, I believe, in that game. But that didn't matter. I mean, he had two homers in the series, was doing everything offensively, doing everything defensively, and was just he was carrying them in a way through this whole playoff run. He was the most consistent hitter. He was a shortstop batting third or fourth or sometimes even second behind bets. It's just too much firepower for the Dodgers. Just well-deserved on their part. Hate to say it, but they were the best team. Yeah, especially as a Padres fan, you don't want to say that. But, yeah, um, but yeah, the, the only two other people that I would consider for that World Series MVP would be Justin Turner and maybe even Clayton Kershaw because Clayton Kershaw finally broke his curse. And moving on to curses. Do you think that uh, the Dodgers will stand a chance on winning next year, or what do you think? I mean, this team is – if they can somehow keep this team together financially, keep them all happy with their salaries. I mean, they have stars at almost every position. Will Smith is a rising catcher in this league that can hit. He might be the next Buster Posey of this generation. I mean, the dude's unreal. He was a DH. He never really see catchers DH in the World Series from either an AL or NL team. So I think they have a great shot at repeating. The NL isn't that tough. I mean, the Padres are going to be challenging them for the NL West, I would think. But the Dodgers have all the experience. They have the best players. They have all that money can buy. And the addition of Mookie Betts for another 11 years after this one is just, if they don't win at least three or four more World Series, it's going to be, might be a bust but they're going to enjoy this one and worry about next year in a couple months. Yeah, exactly. They just have to be on the high right now of winning that World Series after losing so many times in either the World Series or the NLCS. Like, I mean, as a, a Nationals fan, winning last year was everything. Like, we never really made that final push to make it to the World Series. And we've always been, like, going out on the NLDS or the wild card game. And to finally get that trophy – even as just like a fan, it's just, it's something else. You like, I'm wearing the hat right now of uh, the Nationals winning the World Series. And I have so many friends growing up in California that are Dodger fans. And like, they would send me videos of them crying just because it's been such a drought and so many things went wrong the previous years that they finally were able to lift that crown and say that they're actually World Series champions. So it's good to see a team like that. LA has proven that they're the best in sports right now with the Lakers. Um, the Clippers are on the rise too. They have the Dodgers. Now the Angels just need to get their act together. But the Rams, the Rams are playing well. Yeah. yeah, so LA's on top right now, just like Boston was a couple of years ago. Um, but moving on to the Rays, the Rays are um I'll say it, they're they're a really good team. Like chemistry-wise, everything. They just fell a little short. Do you think this is a one-year wonder for the Rays, or do you think they could be doing this moving forward? 
I think this was a one-year wonder. Unfortunately, I think this shortened season, this playoff format really kind of played to how they like to play baseball. They, as we saw in the playoffs, especially the World Series, if they would get up by two, maybe three runs early on, they have one of the best, if not the best bullpen in baseball to just Kevin Cash could go matchup for matchup from here on out. And you weren't going to score anything more than one run against that bullpen. They were lights out. And ultimately, that's what wins you wins you games in playoff baseball. But the flip side of that, whenever the Rays were losing, you could tell they were defeated. Other than that crazy game four when it was high scoring, eight to seven game, the Rays didn't have much offense more than maybe four runs. I mean, we saw that in the series versus the Astros. When the Rays would win, it was four to two, four to one, three to one, et cetera. So I think this shortened season really helped the Rays play the style of baseball they want. But in a longer season, you aren't able to hit your relievers as much in the regular season because you are playing 162 games. You aren't able to roll out your starters there as much as they did. But so I definitely think this is a one-year wonder. The Rays will still be good. They will still be a competitive ball club, but I don't see them as a, a American League favorite or not even top three going into next year after this, this yeah. uh, 2020 season. It's going to be weird to see what happens next year just because of the whole condensed season this year. you got to kind of see up and coming. There's a lot of prospects that made impacts this year. So getting like a team that's really surprising next year will be the, like the White Sox or the Angels. If they sign a pitcher, like if they get Trevor Bauer, that's a team to be reckoned with. They finally got their ace. Their offense is fine, but they needed that ace. So there's a lot of con- con- uh, like factors going into next season and free agency especially that could – make it or break the Rays because the Rays do have a really good farm system. They're really young still, but there's going to be teams that are going to be full force next year. And it all depends on injuries. I always say this, but injuries are so like detrimental to baseball because they're like in any sport, if one of your star players goes out, like it's, it's a wrap from there, but it should be interesting. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about that crazy ending to game four real quick. Uh, before you move on, just to touch up on what you were saying, the Rays actually do have the number one farm system in baseball as well. Yeah, so, I mean, moving forward, they are set. But yeah. it just takes a time to really get into that kind of mode and get those prospects to where they're supposed to be. But I want to talk about that crazy game four real quick with you. What a game that was, man. Like, back and forth the whole game. Dodgers leading, Rays leading, Dodgers leading, and then back to the ninth inning and that crazy play to end the game where Chris Taylor just fumbles it, throws it in. Chris Taylor, I'm not Chris Taylor, Will Smith gets his eye off the ball while the guy was rounding third coming for home. He would have been stuck in a pickle, probably been out. What do you what do you make of that game? Oh, man, that was probably one of the best World Series games I've watched since the Astros and the Dodgers actually did the same thing. I believe it was game five where it was just back and forth all game. It was at the Astros park. Kershaw had the lead. Yuri Gurriel comes up, hits a three-run bomb, and it was just back and forth. Dodgers with clutch hits when they could have lost the game. And then the Astros come back, clutch hits. And then I believe it went in extra innings, and the Astros actually won a thriller. But, I mean, what a tremendous baseball game that was this game four that we watched and it was 
funny. I was in LA this past weekend watching the game with Dodger fans. And I was just neutral. I was like, all right, like you guys are my friends. I'm not going to be like, uh, I'm not going to be rude and be cheering for the Rays full force. I'm just going to sit, watch the game and just take it in. And I was in shock after what happened to end that game. Everyone around me wanted to turn off the game. They were, I've never seen so many people want to cry in their beers before, but um, I was just in shock. It was classic Dodgers in the playoffs classic them choking them being up late in an elimination game and letting the nationals come back or them blowing it versus or getting killed by the red sox blowing it versus astros etc etc but all in all just a tremendous baseball game as you said a rose arena was gunned at home plate he fell down gets up starts going back to third will smith tries to get the ball and tag him thinks he's coming to the plate He's not even halfway down the line. Will Smith loses it, and Rose Arena does probably the slowest headfirst slide I've ever seen, and he just barely grazes the plate and slaps it, and he had the biggest smile on his face. But that was an ending to a baseball game I'll probably remember for the rest of my life for sure. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> just seeing – like, my friend is a diehard Dodger fan, and, like, he texts me that – if we lose this series, I will never watch Dodgers ever again. <laughs> and I was like, dude, after something like that, I kind of understand. Like, yeah. it's just like an ongoing theme of just tragedy for the Dodgers. But yeah. luckily, they were able to win the game. But it was the first time in World Series history a double error resulted in a walk-off win for the opposing team, which is phenomenal because – I'm, I'm a Nationals fan. It was funny to watch, but like so much heartbreak for those Dodger fans because they wouldn't even have to go to a game six if they just like went to extra innings maybe or, you maybe know. Game, yeah. yeah, so you never know, but it ended up working out for the Dodgers. But it looks like Kenley Jansen lost his role in game six. Do you think that was the best decision that Dave Roberts made to bring in Urias to close out that game? Absolutely. Um, Kenley had his struggles even against the Braves. He had his struggles even against the Padres in the series before that, but they held on to win. Uh, he had his struggles in game four. The Rays came back and won that game. As we saw in game five, Blake Trinan came in to close it out. And then Arias in game six. And to go back again, in the NLCS game seven, we saw Arias throw three straight Three complete innings of no-hit baseball to win that game seven, three to two for the Dodgers. So I think it was probably Dave Roberts' best coaching decision he's made as the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, Kenley Jansen, he's phenomenal in the regular season, but for some reason in the playoffs, he is not that good. I mean, he only throws high 80s. He throws a cutter that doesn't have as much movement on it as it used to. Is He's not a Mariano Rivera. He used to be. But, I mean, he's a big dude on the mound. He's intimidating. But in the playoffs, for some reason, his stuff is just not as electric as it is during the regular season. So for Dave Roberts to make a ballsy decision and bring in someone else and have it pan off was absolutely 100% the right move. And I'm glad it worked out for him in the end. Yeah, and going back to Dave Roberts and even the coach of the Rays, I forget his name right now. but Kevin Cash. Yeah, Kevin Cash. There was a lot of – interesting bullpen decisions throughout this series 
like taking Kershaw out. They took out Blake Snell last night, who was on fire through, I think it was four and two thirds. Five right? and two thirds, yeah. Five and two thirds. He was rolling through the Dodgers. Do you think that if the Dodgers would have lost this series, they would have fired Dave Roberts based on those kind of errors as, like a, as a coach? Um, I personally think they probably would have canned Dave Roberts. They probably would have fired him. I mean, this is their third World Series trip in the last four years. They've had the best record in baseball combined through those four years. They've had the best record every each individual season in those four years. And they just couldn't get it done. I mean, it kind of falls on the players for not being able to perform in those big moments. But at the same time, the head coach is always going to take the blame. We saw with the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett get fired last year and the Cowboys hiring Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys are just the same old terrible team that we've seen for the past 10 to 15 years. Sometimes the head coach has to take it on his chin. The management doesn't want to look themselves in the mirror and say, maybe we don't have the best, best roster assembled right now to win it all. But I definitely think Dave Roberts probably would have and should have deserved to get fired if he would have lost the Rays in this series, but gladly for him, he did not. <laughs> yeah, and I want to touch on Clayton Kershaw, because Clayton Kershaw, we've we talked about it last week a lot, because that was my real-life example, but he finally did it, and he pitched really well throughout this playoffs, which is something that he really needed to kind of solidify his status as one of the greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. And I'm going to say that because he is one of the greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. But do you see him going down as one of the greatest left-handed, like as a Padres fan, you don't want to say it, of course, but do you see him going down as one of the greatest ever left-handed pitchers? A hundred percent, especially left-handed pitchers, let alone maybe one of the best pitchers of all time. I mean, I've watched the guy kill the Padres my whole time growing up. He's been frustrating. Every time we see, oh, Kershaw's pitching, oh, looks like we lost this game. I mean, even the Padres weren't being that good, but Kershaw, I mean, he has eight all-star game appearances, one gold glove, one National League MVP as a pitcher, three National League Cy Youngs, one no-hitter, and now he has what he's been looking for the World Series ring. And honestly, even being a Padres fan, I was happy for Kershaw. He deserves this. He's been having some of the toughest times, blew the game against the Nationals, struggled in the playoffs, the previous World Series against the Astros and the Red Sox. And you could just see he was overwhelmed with emotion. Everyone kept saying in their post-game interviews, I'm so happy for Clay and I'm so happy for Kershaw. He deserves this, such a good guy kept going on and on about him. I mean, you can tell he's very loved in that locker room. And ultimately, I'm I'm ecstatic for him that he finally got this monkey off his back. Yeah, I think that was huge for him. And he needed it, dude. Like, looking back on it throughout the years, like, we've had to play, like, play the Dodgers plenty of times as well. And every time Kershaw comes on the mound, it's like the same thing all the time during the regular season. You cannot touch that man. Something about the playoffs – couldn't get it done but in your opinion why does he need a championship to be in that discussion as the best pitcher of all time I just think that's what separates you kind of puts your stamp on your career I mean not to switch sports but we see these guys like Charles Barkley um, Allen Iverson Steve Nash Chris Paul Carmelo Anthony 
have these tremendous Hall of Fame careers, but when it comes down to arguing them as a top five potential player of all time at their respective position or top 10 or whatever the argument is, people just bring up how they've never won a championship. They've never been to the finals, et cetera, et cetera. So for Kershaw finally to get this World Series, and me personally, I think the World Series is the hardest championship to win because the fewest amount of teams make it. You have to be so good throughout the regular season. You play so many games. Then you have to be just as dominant, if not better, in the postseason because it is that much harder. The games last longer. Every batter is locked into every pitch. No one's taking the bats off, no matter what the score is, what inning, how many outs. It's that much tougher. And for Kershaw to finally get this monkey off his back, it is going to cement him into a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt, but definitely maybe on the Mount Rushmore of pitchers of all time. Yeah, especially those left-handed pitchers of all time. Like, there's no arguing it at this point anymore. Clayton Kershaw has proven time and time again that he can be that guy. It's just a matter of time. And he finally got it. I think I totally agree with you with the whole Charles Barkley thing, how how stupid it sounds, but it makes sense to all the people that kind of play sports. Like, growing up, you always want to, like, be in that position to win a championship for any sport, whether baseball, soccer, basketball. And you want to win a championship, whether that's even for your hometown. It's always for something. And for Clayton Kershaw to finally make it to the World Series and win two games in the World Series, right? He won. He was 2-0 in the World Series, which is unheard of from Clayton Kershaw. I mean, it just solidifies everything for me. Yeah, I potentially, if he would have, we kind of talked about this in our production meeting, I potentially would have given him the MVP if, say, what he, what Arias did in game six, if maybe it went to a game seven and that was Kershaw instead of Arias and shut him down for two or maybe three innings, maybe even an inning and two thirds. Kershaw would have got my vote for MVP for having, being two and no, having a sub two ERA and potentially having a save to clinch the World Series. Yeah, I think as a fan, you kind of, I wish it would have gone to Kershaw just so we like, that's just like it. Like he is the greatest of all time. One of like, if not the best of all time, left-handed pitcher, you know, if he would have gotten that award, it would have just made things so much, it, it would have been such a bittersweet, not a bittersweet, but it would have been a sweet ending to his kind of like drought. And it, who knows, he could win. Like you said, we said earlier, the Dodgers are going to be a team to reckon with for the next couple of years with all their players under contract. And if they can keep them under contract, he could have two or three more World Series championships. We'll see if the Nationals can come back from their World Series uh, hangover. But yeah, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, but last thing before we move into a commercial, we have to touch up on the things Randy Rosarina did for this Rays offense. I mean, he was a monster for them. Every time he came up, the announcers were like, Will they get him out? Will they get him out? It was like a guessing game because the dude was hitting so well. He was the lone spark plug in that Rays offense. You can tell when he got on base, got the team going. When he hit home runs, got the energy in that dugout going. And when he just wasn't getting on base, the Rays struggled to score runs. But what do you make of his postseason debut in a sense? I mean, he was a rookie first time in the playoffs, breaking the home run record with 10. What do you make of the things he did throughout this postseason? Man, I want to see what he does on a full scale 
162 season. Because if he can roll into a season like that, he's going to hit like 30, 40, maybe even 50 bombs at this point. So I want to see him if he can produce 162 games before I get on the whole bandwagon with Randy. But what he did was special. And it goes back to all these. We've talked about the race so much about there's never been like a superstar on their team that just carries them. And like the Dodgers, they have so many superstars and that you can say the Rays don't have nearly as many, if any at all. So if Randy can be that guy for them in the next, I think he's 24, 25 years old for the next 10 years or so. And if he can be hitting home runs and getting on base and hitting a high average for the next 10 years, that's a success because they just got him out of a trade from the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. So they just got him and he's already producing at this level. So I'm excited to see what he does. He was very excited during the like postseason. And yeah, so I'm just excited to see what he does for, on a full scale 162 season. I totally agree with you. I mean, you touched up on everything. What he did was absolutely remarkable, special to say the least. It was like something out of a video game. I had never heard about this guy going into the playoffs. And the next thing you know, he's just bursting on the scenes doing this. And by the end of the World Series, he's becoming a household name for sure. But that is going to wrap up this conversation about the World Series. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers breaking their 32-year drought and taking home that World Series trophy. We're going to move into a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, I'll be moving into my real-life example. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Double Double, and thank you for tuning in to this last part, this final segment. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. I'm going to be moving into my real-life example. So for me, choosing to go to a smaller school in Northern Arizona University was kind of like being a 25th overall pick in the NFL draft or being a second-round pick or let alone a sixth-round pick ultimately like the GOAT, Tom Brady. Sometimes these top NFL picks, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Ryan Leaf, Jamarcus Russell, et cetera, et cetera, they have these great college careers and they go to the team that is, needs a quarterback, which is always a team that has the worst record in the NFL, if not the second worst record. But sometimes these organizations, these franchises are just have too much going on in the front office they aren't classy organizations. They aren't winning organizations. And these quarterbacks just get chewed up and spit back out. They don't have good careers. They don't have lasting careers. They'll start for a couple games. They'll struggle. They'll get benched. They'll come back in. They'll play well. They'll get benched again. Little do you know, they have the worst record. Here comes a new quarterback. But for me, choosing NAU, it was a smaller school it was a better fit. Being from San Diego and being in this sports journalism program, I am able to be in a class with less students to where I have more opportunities like the one I'm currently doing right now, being on a podcast with some friends in my class or getting opportunities to be on live TV or do play-by-play -play broadcasting, et cetera, et cetera. If I were to go to a big school like Arizona State and the Cronkite School of Communication and be in the same program I am now with hundreds, let alone probably thousands of kids, I might get chewed up and spit back out. I wouldn't get the same opportunities from day one. I would have to work my way up and maybe once I'm a junior, maybe once I'm a senior, 
I might get those opportunities that can set me as set me ahead for my career and push me to the right step in my life. But choosing NAU, great choice. And I I think about some of these quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes. He was the 12th overall pick. And now the 11 teams that didn't draft him in front of the Chiefs at number 12 ultimately made the biggest mistake of all time. Mahomes already in his third season as a full-time starting quarterback has a National Football League MVP, has a Super Bowl trophy, and a Super Bowl MVP. This shows you that the fit is more important than being the number one pick. Patrick Mahomes went to a great organization, the Kansas City Chiefs. They were a playoff team before he got there. They hadn't won a Super Bowl in over 50 years because they never had that quarterback to set them apart from the rest of the teams. But he has a great coach in Andy Reid who's been to a Super Bowl before with the Philadelphia Eagles. He has great weapons around him, Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman, Le'Veon Bell, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Travis Kelsey, et cetera, et cetera, that can put him in the right position to win a ton of football games. You look at Lamar Jackson. He was the 32nd overall pick in the first round with the Ravens. Didn't play his first year with the Ravens. Then next thing you know, Joe Flacco, who had been there for about 15 years, gets released. They go all in on Lamar Jackson. It ended up working out. In his second season as a full-time starter, Lamar Jackson won the MVP. And the Ravens are one of the best football teams every year the past three seasons in the National Football League. This just shows you it's not all about going to the big school or the being the number one pick. It's not about going to the University of Texas, the University of Southern California, um, Alabama, Clemson, et cetera, et cetera. Go to somewhere where it is a good fit. Go to somewhere where you are going to succeed and get the opportunities that are going to set you aside and make you better in your career moving down the road. First of all, inspiration. I just want to say that because when I was looking at school, because I was in the same position being from Southern California, you want to go to like those US or like San Diego State or I wanted to go to UCSB, but I went to NAU on a, on a chance and it was the greatest fit that I could ever ask for. I'm in a program where I love, I get to talk to my friends all the time and talk sports, which is the best thing ever. It's like the best career ever probably. And going back to like the picks and stuff like that, Mike Trout was first round 25th overall pick going to the dot or going to the angels. Now he's considered probably the greatest baseball player of all time. So I think like him gelling with that organization is the same thing. So overall, just like Chad said, make sure it's a great fit for you um, and make sure that you can do something that you love doing. That's like what we all strive for as college students. We want to find something that makes us happy and that we can put food on the table, but still like have fun doing. And I think the situation we're in is a perfect example, but I do have a question for you. Being not from uh, Arizona, like myself, was it hard to kind of just be like, okay, I'm going to Northern Arizona. Um, it might have not been my first pick, but I'm going to take a chance on it. Was it hard like leaving home or like, what was your thoughts on it? Um, sort of. Um, so it was about seven, six and a half, seven hour car drive away from San Diego where I was born and raised. 
So it was like kind of has that good median. I felt like like if I wanted to go home for Thanksgiving or surprise my mom for Mother's Day or like something like a special like that, I was able to do that and take like an extended weekend. I didn't have to fly across the country or something like that. But at the same time, it wouldn't be convenient for me just to drive home for two days. It wouldn't be convenient like for my parents to come up and see me every weekend, like something like that. So it kind of gave me the opportunity to grow as a person and kind of grow up and make this kind of my new home for the four years. And luckily I had one of my friends that I grew up with actually was my roommate my first three years out out here. So being with someone and coming out here with someone I knew helped a lot as well too. Yeah, and that's the main thing too, because like for me it was it's a 10 hour drive and I was like, oh, it's not too bad, but it's not something you want to do often. Yeah. But I have a friend who's been my friend since I was four years old and he's living with me now. And it's just making yourself comfortable in the situation you're in. So yeah. I'm I'm glad I finally was able to like find a place where I could be on my own, but still yeah. be able to adventure and do all the things that I love doing. So yeah, really good real life example, Chad. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that sounds like it's going to wrap up this edition of the Wednesday Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We will see you next week. Laters. <laughs>